0: Good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody here today. Going to have our ushers come forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings, and let's go ahead and return thanks on the offering as they're coming forward. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are free in you and everything that you've done for us, and we just pray that as we give our uh, gifts and our offerings of thanks back to you, that you would use it for the extension of your kingdom. And Lord, we especially pray for those in the Ukraine today that you would... um, let your church rise up. We pray that the gospel would spread like fire throughout that whole region and that you would be their great defense. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you as you give and enjoy your announcements. Good morning, New Life Church. Craig Carson here, your favorite deacon. Hey, I just... Uh listen to pastor's message uh, at the end of the book of James there what a, what a great message on prayer so it's a good time for me to remind you guys about our prayer that we have on Sunday nights and we meet from 6 to 7 in the cafe anyone can come and attend you know some people have a mis- misperception about prayer that it's being on a rock pile with a couple of pickaxes it's anything but that we just we have a good time we allow the Holy Spirit to uh, just guide us he, filled, he fills the sales and it's just it's the fastest hour of the week. We have great music, great fellowship and I'm inviting you so come on down. Thank you. Hi ladies this is Juliette Davis here your new women's ministry leader with a couple announcements. On Saturday, May 28th, we're going to be kicking off our women's ministry with our surprise guest speaker, Dossie Meeks. And I want you to think about what you want your women's ministry to look like, because we'll be discussing that in a breakout session that day. So save that date, May 28th, and we'll kick it off. Hey, New Life Church. Remember, today's mission Sunday. New Life supports 42 missionaries. Isn't that crazy? Well... There will be ushers at the back of the sanctuary, after service, ready to collect your generous offerings. Remember, you can't outgive give God. For over a year now, we have been running discovery groups in our church. We start them and we stop them. We're getting ready to start them up again for a six-week length of time. That's very doable for every one of you. Discovery groups are so important because it's unlike any other Bible study. As a matter of fact, there is no teaching that goes on. It's simply a facilitator that you look at a portion of Scripture, questions are asked, and you get to experience God in real time. You get to look into the Scriptures and ask yourself, what do you see about humanity? What do you see about God? And What is God asking you to do in that portion of Scripture? It's very powerful, sweeping the world, as a matter of fact. So we're excited about getting ready to launch for a six-week period of time, and I'm really excited about the content. So this is how it's going to unfold. March 13th, we have a Creation Scientist coming to New Life Church. That week, we are starting our Discovery Group. So you'll be in Genesis chapter 1, just looking about Creation. And then after that, March 20th, March 27th, and April 3rd, I'm going to be doing a series on the Baptism and the Holy Spirit you're going to be looking at scriptures, dealing with that and going a little deeper and just seeking what God has for you. And then on April 10th, we have Jews for Jesus that's coming and they're going to be doing a Seder presentation or a Passover presentation. So we're going to be looking at scriptures about the Passover. And again, just having this discovery time with God. And then, of course, April 17th is Easter Sunday morning. I'm going to be preaching a message on if there was a God and he stepped into our world, what would that look like? simple salvation message going to be encouraging you to bring somebody with you that's why we call it easter friend day bring a friend with you to church they're going to hear the gospel in very plain language but then that week after which will be the sixth week of our discovery groups you're going to be looking at some of those texts about what did it look for what did it look like for jesus to show up so get involved there's going to be sign-up sheets available on our registration table we need hosts families we need facilitators, and we need you to be part of a group. So there was this little rabbit, and uh, the little rabbit used to hop into the garden of a wizard and, um, and, and eat the carrots and vegetables, and the wizard started getting a little upset. And so finally, the wizard like, approached the rabbit, and he said, um, Hey, you know what? If you don't stop it, I'm just going to turn you into a goon. Well, the rabbit didn't stop and just kept going in the garden and eating the vegetables. And so the wizard just lost his cool, and he went out there and just, boom, he turned that little rabbit into a goon. So the moral of the story is, hair today, goon tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Did you ever notice how sometimes somebody unexpected comes into your life out of nowhere, makes your heart race, just changes you forever? We call those people cops. <laughs> so, it's, uh, you know, you heard that saying, walk a mile in my shoes? Don't do that with me. Just spend 30 seconds in my head, it'll freak you out. <laughs> That's all you need right there. Okay. So um, I'm going to review because we started a series last week, so I just want to review real quickly. Um, We started in Romans, and Romans chapter 1, right within the first few verses, Paul hits it hard. He says, this is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news. It is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of it. And so he talks about this good news that's introduced by this person, Jesus Christ, who's declared to be the Son of God by the evidence of the resurrection of the dead. We have that out on our marquee. There's no one that's been able to prove why the tomb is empty. They can't explain why the tomb is empty. And so Paul talks about this good news, good news, good news. And then towards the end of chapter 1 into chapters 2 and 3, he contrasts this good news with what he introduces as the wrath of God, that the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against Uh, ungodliness. And then through the the rest of those chapters, chapter 2, chapter 3, he starts to unpack what that looks like, that the entire pagan world is under a sentence of condemnation, the entire Jewish world is under a sentence of condemnation. As a matter of fact, the whole world is under a sentence of condemnation. He talks about what it looks like in our character, in our attitude, in our speech, Uh, And he goes to these Old Testament scriptures, and it is not a pretty picture at all. As a matter of fact, somebody has once said that those words are the darkest picture of fallen humanity in any literature anywhere in the world or in history. So Paul really lays it on thick. But it is good news. And so now Paul is getting ready to contrast this dark wrath of God against ungodliness with the good news. And he's going to do it by unpacking three huge words. And those words are justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so we should be excited about these words. It sounds like they're big yawners, like, you know, but we should be excited because this is exactly what God is doing in us and what will continue to do in us. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. So, um, so we, we're going to just jump into it, start off, with justification and what he has to say about justification. So justification, in a nutshell, justification is the act of God by where he declares sinful people as righteous because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, no guilt. It's it's easily remembered as saying just as if I had never sinned. So that's what justification means, just as if I'd never sinned. God views us as if we had never even fallen in the first place and that we'd never received this you know, demonic nature of rebellion and wanting to do our own way and living uh, uh, you know, away from God and apart from God. And, um, and so this is, this is what he's talking about. So he's going to get into, first of all, the explanation, and then he's going to illustrate the explanation and then he's going to start sharing some benefits. So we'll just go through this really quick. The explanation in Romans chapter three, verses 21, he says, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, remember he was saying, none of this should catch any of us off guard God's not flying by the seat of his pants. This has been revealed by the law, by the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, and there is no distinction. And so he's talking about that by faith we have a righteous standing with God. And we talked about that the easiest way to remember what righteousness means is righteousness means the right to stand in God's holy presence, Without fear or shame or guilt. That he has justified us. He's declared us not guilty and he doesn't even see the stain of sin on us, even though all the things that we do. It's really miraculous when you think about it. It's really like the grace of God unpacked. As, as a matter of fact, there's this tremendous miracle that Jesus does in his ministry that kind of demonstrates this. As you, if you remember, Um, In the ministry of Jesus, he comes across this woman who had a spirit of infirmity, and she was bowed over. She could not stand up straight. She was bowed over for 18 years, and it's interesting that it wasn't just a sickness, but that it was a spirit, and so we have this demonic nature in us that has caused us to be unable to stand in the presence of God. There's this cowering. You ever see like sometimes people get arrested for doing something stupid and they go to the courtrooms, they pull their, you know, their, the, the, the pictures are going and the media's taking and they put their coat over there or they put a billboard, you know, something in front of them because there's a shame of being seen in, in that scrutiny. And this is what we do, like where there's a, we, we cower before God's presence because he's pure and he's holy and he's just and he has this anger against sin. And we know that we have this thing of sin in us. And so Jesus Casts the spirit out of this woman, and she can stand up in his presence. And that's like a little snapshot in the ministry of Jesus depicting the gospel that we're bowed over by this evil nature. We cannot stand in God's presence, but Jesus is the one that makes it right and brings healing to where we can stand. Now, this is more than just a physical healing. This is a spiritual healing where we can come into God's presence. It's it's also illustrated in the book of Esther, where the king had a golden scepter. And if you came into his presence and he did not point the scepter at you, that means you were dead. You were unwelcome and you were dead. And the Bible says in Hebrews that the scepter of God's kingdom is righteousness. And so Jesus points the scepter of righteousness towards us, meaning that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come boldly into the presence of God without without feelings of being condemned or anything like that. So this has huge implications on what's going on. And then he goes on in verse 24, and he says, being justified, so here it is, being justified as a gift. And remember, what does justified mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. He says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Jesus Christ. So he's saying the whole thing is a gift. I'm a sinner, declared a sinner. There is a sentence of condemnation over me, and he simply declares me justified as if I had never sinned by a gift. Now, if there's one thing I know about gifts, in order for a gift to be a gift, it has to be received. Right? If I said, hey, here's a $100 bill and I'm going to give it to you, and nobody made a move to come up and take it out of my hands, then it's, it's absolutely a moot point, right? So God bestows, he goes, hey, everybody, I want to give you this gift. But we have to humble ourselves, and we have to receive that gift. We have to take that gift. He's saying, I'm giving it to you for free. Not that it was cheap, because the cross tells us, if anything, it was not cheap. It cost Jesus his life to afford this gift for us. And then he goes on into verse 25, Romans 3, and he says, he's talking about Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Um, And this was to demonstrate his righteousness. And so that is a great big word in the Bible, the word propitiation. We only find it once or twice in the New Testament. What does propitiation mean? Propitiation means the act of turning wrath away from somebody who deserves it. That's what it means. I deserved wrath. God owes me nothing, but it's been turned away. And it's been turned away As he explains here, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the illustration would be like one of the the mountains that I like hiking um, a lot is Mount Cardigan. It's kind of on the western side of the state, and it's a dome rock mountain, and it's got a fire tower on top of it. Well, you know a fire tower sticking up on a bare rock summit, the highest summit in that whole area, you know that it is a magnet for lightning. Right, That thing probably gets struck hundreds of times in the course of the year, and it would get struck and it would get damaged. It would probably burn to the ground, except for this little thing called lightning rods. Right, So there's a lightning rod on that thing. So when that lightning bolt comes, it is propitiated away from the target, hitting the lightning rod, and that lightning is dispersed. The cross of Christ is God's lightning rod for his judgment. God didn't just not judge sin. He did judge our sin. And that judgment fell on the cross of Christ. That was the lightning rod. The, the wrath that should have struck me was propitiated, and it hit Christ. And he was crushed for our infirmities, right? That's what the Bible says. He was bruised for our sin. He was crushed for our iniquity. Neg- matter of fact, it says God was pleased to crush him because in crushing Jesus, it propitiated the judgment that you and I deserved and we get a free gift of justification, just as if we'd never sinned. Like, think about this. Like, God hates sin. There's an anger. We talked about that there's wrath against sin. And yet it's propitiated away from us. It falls on Christ. And God looks at us as if we had never even done anything wrong ever in our lives. And we know that that's not true, right? We know that on a daily basis, we sin. On a daily basis, we sin. And so this is what's happening. I mean, this is huge stuff that his blood has propitiated all of us. And so he goes on in verse 27, and he says this. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. How can we ever think that we deserve God's love? How can we ever think we deserve all of this? We didn't deserve this. We deserved condemnation. We deserved wrath. That's what we should have gotten. And yet God, in his great mercy, has concocted this plan of salvation where Jesus enters the world, bears the brunt of our sin. Every sin ever committed fell on him. And that's why the resurrection is such a big deal. Because if there was one sin that God couldn't have forgiven, Jesus never would have been resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is proof that the propitiation worked, that the sacrifice was accepted, and that we are free. We just sang that song. Death was arrested and we're free. We're let go. It's so, so huge. And I got to admit, when Zach leads worship, he gives it 150%, doesn't he? He doesn't hold anything back. A lot of energy there. And so, so this is what he's talking about. So how can we boast like, you know, hey, I deserve to be in heaven. You do not. You deserve to be in hell. But Jesus did it all. And so then he illustrates this. And I'm not going to go through all of the scripture because it's a big, actually, it's the entire chapter four of Romans. And so in chapter four, Paul starts to unpack that this is nothing new, especially to the Jews, that, that you guys should be privy of this because it goes back to the illustration of Abraham. Now, remember, Abraham is the father of the entire Jewish nation. And they're all over here boasting in the fact that they're Jews. They're boasting in their stance with God. They're boasting in circumcision and yada, yada, yada. And Paul goes back to Abraham, and he says, hey, guys, you remember how Abraham believed God? God said, Abraham, come out of your land, and I'm going to show you where to go. And Abraham didn't know where. He just simply followed by faith. And then God goes to Abraham, and he says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and that son's going to be the heir, and I'm going to bless the the nations of the world through your descendants and abraham's like oh this is awesome but then he doesn't have a son and he doesn't have a son and he doesn't have a son and he doesn't have a son son, until he's well past the age of having children both him and his wife sarah And, and and yet he still believes and the bible said that god reckoned which is an accounting term reckoned his faith as righteousness so Paul starts to unpack that in chapter 4, and he goes, hey, guys, 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 did God do that before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? Oh, well before he was circumcised. Oh, so the ability of God to reckon somebody righteous has nothing to do with circumcision. It has nothing to do with all of the law of the, the nation of Israel and all this stuff. It's simply by faith in God and God reckoned it unto abraham righteous and then you know he, he starts unpacking so much more he starts talking um about that that this was even when he was old and that he was saved before circumcision that was just a sign of being in a covenant with god and then towards the end of that chapter he says these things were written for our sake so that we can look at it and say wow this did not this this isn't something new this is the way god always intended it that we would believe in him And be safe. Because, listen, if it was based on works, how could that possibly be fair? If it was based on our ability of what we could do. Because, let's face it, rich people could give a lot more than people who are poor. That would look a lot better, right? Other people, you know, if you were a paraplegic, you couldn't do any works for God. You couldn't serve at a soup kitchen, or you couldn't do this or that, right? So God makes it fair for everyone by saying it's simply by believing, It doesn't matter if you're male or female, rich or poor, intelligent or uneducated or anything. It just matters of can you believe God. And so then he he comes back in this illustration. And in Romans 4, 6, he says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man whom God credits righteousness apart from the works of the law. So God credits it. So he's saying, listen, guys, it's in our heritage. We look at Abraham. We look at David. David said, how blessed is the guy that God just simply says, you're not guilty you're free on what basis on the basis of simply believing it is so simple that it becomes a stumbling block because there's something in us that says i should earn this somehow i should have some kind of skin in the game i should alter my behavior it has nothing to do with your behavior nothing and, and, you know, some people say, well, you know, when you say that, you're giving people a license to sin. They're going to sin whether they got a license or not, right? So, so the Bible says awaken unto righteousness and don't sin. Like when you start realizing all these things that God's done. So now he gets into the benefits. What are the benefits of all these things that God did? Now we start transitioning into chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been, past tense, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. That means acceptance. That means blessing. That means adoption. That means that He approves of us. Listen, some of you probably had bad childhoods. Maybe you grew up in bad families. You were never, you know, uh, uh, loved on. You were never patted on the back. You were never encouraged. You were never, you know, all these different things. And, and when we come to Christ, when we come to God, He's like, listen. I approve you. I love you. I want to adopt you. I I want you as my possession. I love you more than you could ever, ever imagine. I created you in my image. I made you you because I love you, and I want to redeem you unto myself. And so we have peace. I'm no longer striving to please God. Jesus pleased God for me, and I've been justified by faith, and now I have peace with God. I'm not trying to earn anything from God anymore, it's done. How can I boast about that? The only thing I brought to the table was my sinfulness. Jesus did it all. And so then he goes into verse 2 and he says, Through whom we also have obtained introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. So he's saying, listen, we've obtained introduction into this faith, simply believing, simply trusting And into this grace, and I love the explanation of grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. What a way to look at that word grace. It's all of God's riches bestowed on us at Christ's expense. He pays it all, right? And he says we have access into this grace in which we stand. Do you know what that means? That means we're still not trying to fight our way in. We're not trying to get into a position of grace. We already are in a position of grace, and we just stand in it. We just stand there. He's just like, you know, my, you know. Listen, you know, William. We, we have a little grandson. He's like almost two and a half, and um, he's so much fun. And you know, he, he's my grandson. He can't do wrong if he tried. <laughs> got a hand. He got his hands on some pens that Darlene had left out a while back and went full Michelangelo all over our leather furniture, you know? And it was like, oh, that little darling, you know? Now, if it was like Tim, I'd have wrung his neck, right? It was my, like, you know, but it's my grandson. you know. And so, you know, he, he's, just, he's just so much fun. And how much more does God look at us? And he's like, you're my kids. Can you imagine? Listen, think about this for a moment. God loves to hang out with you. God loves to hang out with you. I had a dream. You know, okay, we're gonna get personal. I hope I don't cry. I had a dream a couple of weeks ago. Now I'm just kidding. I loved our kids, Janelle, our daughter, and Tim, our son. And Tim and I were like this. I mean, I loved Tim with everything that's in me. And I had a dream a few weeks ago. And 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 Tim was like, "Hey, Dad, you know, look at this." And he was showing me all these things that this new family that had welcomed him was providing him. And I'm following behind him, like feeling my heart being ripped out because this affection is going into this other family that's giving him things. And even though part of me was like super happy that he had these things to enjoy in his life, I felt like this separation, like pulling away from me because he had all this other stuff. And I woke up with a broken heart. I was like, I know that that was just a dream, but man, that really hurt. And then it hit me. Because God was like, yeah, how much more? How much more? Like, we're just Lord by the things of this world. And God is saying, but I'm your dad. And I want, I want to hang out with you, and I want you to want to hang out with me too. Wow, that really, like, that really like got my attention. Like, God, if you could, you know, how much does God love us? Like, you can't get any more. The cross of Christ is proof that God loves us. Study, the histories, of the, study the, the histories of the religions of the world and tell me if you can find anything that even comes close to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no God that comes in flesh and dies in our place. I mean, come on. This is, this is huge, right? And so these are the benefits that we are standing in this grace and, um, and and we're in. And then not only that, we have the hope of glory. Look at what John writes, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It's not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We'll be like him. What's he like now? Read the chapter 1 of Revelation, right? Look at the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain where he glowed with the glory of God. Look at Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They glowed with the glory of God. We are going to be filled, saturated, and glowing with the glory of God. I mean, Adam and Eve glowed with the glory of God so proficiently that they didn't even know that they were naked. Nakedness wasn't even a thing in their minds because they just shone with the glory of God. And we're going to be glorified. Now, that's part three, so I don't want to get there. I'm going to come back to that. The next thing is sanctification. Sanctification is the story of God taking the children of Israel out of Egypt. Remember, they'd been slaves in Egypt for you know, 400 years, and God takes them out of Egypt, brings them in the wilderness, and there was a huge problem because he got them out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. And so he had to get them out of Egypt, and he had to get Egypt out of them. And do you know the sad part is, the only way he could do it was to have them wander around in the wilderness until they all died out. So sanctification is a process that will never end until we die. We will ultimately die to this world, and then that process will end. But it is something that we're into right now, because I've said it a million times, God loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. So sanctification is this process of trying to be better, trying to do better. I once met a man at a men's retreat um, years ago, wasn't from this church, and he told me, looked me right in the eyes and told me, I haven't sinned for 11 years. And I'm like, I think you just did. <laughs> right? I mean, I, th- I think, you, because, you know, and, and Rainey, Rainey pointed this out to me we had this great conversation. Rainey was saying, you know, I was looking at Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God? She goes, but it doesn't say fallen because fallen is past tense. It says all fall short. We fall short every moment. We fall short of God every day. Every hour of every day, we fall short of the glory of God, right? So come on, you know, yeah, we 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 might improve ourselves, but not that much, right? Will Rogers used to say men change, but not that much, right? Even the apostle Paul, who, you know, the Apostle Paul, chief of all apostles, and, you know, yeah, and yet when he gets to Romans chapter 7, he's like, Man, the things that I do are the things I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. And then in one of his epistles, he says, I'm just the chief of sinners, right? Well, and here's a guy that was like, I would consider pretty close, pretty tight with God, and yet he's owning his stuff, and we all have to own his stuff, and so justification deals with the penalty of sin, sanctification deals with the power of sin, that we want, you know, because let's face it, we still have impatience, you know, I've seen it, you know, the guys I, I hike with when we drive up north, I've seen their impatience and traffic and everything's horrible, um, tempers, <laughs> evil, evil thoughts, envy, lusts, right, and so the question is, is how can I be holy, how, how can, how can we be holy and so the principles of holiness what does that look like grace does not make us free from sin okay so the first half of chapter 6 in romans the word dead appears 15 times just think in half a chapter the word dead 15 times because in the mind of god every convert died with christ when they gave their life to christ when they came to christ and said jesus come into my heart they died with Christ. And so holiness is nothing more than identification. When he died, I died. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So baptism is a sign of, you know, why do we get baptized? It's a sign that I'm identifying with Jesus' death. I'm being buried into the substance of water. I'm coming back up in new life. It's a sign that I'm dying in Christ, and I'm coming into a new life. I'm born again, and I'm living on a different plane, and I'm identifying with what God has done with me. And in Romans 6, 6, this is what Paul says knowing this, that our all self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So sin is not dead. We have to die to it, and that's huge. So that brings us to the practice of holiness. And Paul talks about this in in the first half of Romans chapter 6. And he calls sin a king and us its servants. Um, as a matter of fact, in verse 12, this is what he says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its laws. The only one who reigns are either kings or tyrants. So sin is a tyrant that wants to reign over us and rule over us and hold us in subjection. And Paul's saying, listen, don't, don't do that, right? Uh, so how do we not do that? Well, he talks about that we have to now start having allegiance to a new master. And it's not sin, but it's Christ. So I want to submit more to Jesus. And I want to have his nature more in me. And that, by the way, is what holiness is. Holiness is nothing more than God transmitting into you his nature. And then by the time we get to Romans chapter 7, Paul uses this great illustration of a husband and wife. And he says, when a husband and wife are together, they're married forever. And as long as the husband is alive, the wife belongs to that husband. He says, unless that husband dies, now she's free to marry another. And he uses the illustration that we are married to sin. And until we start reckoning that sin as dead... We are now alive to another. As I reckon myself dead to sin, I can now become alive to another. I can be in another relationship, no longer with sin, but in a relationship with Jesus. And that's so huge. That's what we need to identify. That's what we have to do. So he talks about this husband and wife. And now that we're citizens of a new kingdom, we're servants to a new master, and we have a new husband. And he says, reckon yourself. And that is an accounting term. You, you take this figure and you move it in this column, and that's what we're doing. Uh, in the Greek, it is in an imperative sense, which means that this reckoning is our duty. We have to do it. We have to say, I'm not going to do this. And so, so now we get to the conflict of holiness. Why is there such a conflict? We're in a civil war. I don't know if you realize this. Some of the most powerful stories or movies that are timeless— Always have elements of the gospel in it. And I was thinking about this just the other day. Cinderella is a classic, right? Cinderella is just a classic. Here's this girl that by birthright should have been something, but was deceived and becomes a slave to this family, you know, and this, this evil stepmother and these other daughters and yada, yada, yada. And then she meets Prince Charming. And this is that relationship. She's free now to, to, to have a new husband. So, so wives, look at that guy next to you. That is not Prince Charming. Okay, Prince Charming is Jesus. All right, let's get our facts right. Prince Charming is, Je- but that's why Cinderella is so powerful because she meets this prince who's going to elevate her and deliver her from this tyranny that she lived under. That's why there's a conflict of holiness because we're living in a fallen world. We still have this, this the natures and the appetites of our flesh that are pulling us down. And Paul becomes really transparent about this, even in his own life, saying, you know, that, hey, I want to do good. I don't do good. The things I don't want to do, I do. There's this conflict that's going on. And sometimes when we give our lives to Jesus, we become more sensitive to sin than anyone else. We become conscious. That's why I can't stand, you know, uh, hypocrisy or or Pharisee, Phariseeism, you know, or hyper spirituality. Like, like who, who are we trying to impress anyway? Certainly not God, because where's boasting? He did it all. Are we trying to impress other people? Like that, that's, that doesn't fly in the face of God. And so, so, um, so we become sensitive. Hey, sinners sin. That's what they do. Like, oh, I'm so, sh-, you know, that person, blah, blah, blah. what do you expect them to do? They're, they're, they're blind in sin. Sinners sin. That's what they do. And they're not sensitive to it. They'll do, like, horrible sins and not even care. It's not until we're born again, the nature of God comes in us, and now there's a contrast and there's a civil war. There's a war that's going on between the goodness of Christ in us and the evil that's in the world. And Paul talks about this in Galatians 5.17, because now Romans and Galatians start getting really connected. He says, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And so there's a huge struggle that's going on, and uh, and it's real. And so Paul ends Romans chapter 7 with a cry for help. Like 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 who's gonna stop this madness? I I'm, I'm in this constant battle and what's gonna happen. So now he starts talking about the power of holiness. And he gets into Romans chapter eight and he introduces the power of holiness, which is through a personality that has come to take control. And he mentions this in Romans chapter eight verse four. So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And he introduces us to the character of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did everything he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. He submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As an example for you and I, that we have to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, at one point in time, he tells us that if we're led by the Spirit of God, we are no longer under any kind of law. Because the Spirit of God is never going to lead us into doing, because sin and the Spirit are like you know in a contrast to one another. And then he goes in verse six, and he says, "The mindset on the flesh is death; the mindset on the spirit is life and peace." And so now we have this this fulcrum. We have this fulcrum called the mind. Where am I going to allow my mind to spin? If I allow my mind to go over here on my flesh, I'm going to do the things that I know I shouldn't do. But if I keep my mind over here on the things of the spirit, and this is a discipline, this is a practice. If I keep my mind on the things of the spirit. I'm not going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. I'm not going to fulfill the things that I don't want to be doing anyway. And so he introduces us to living by the Spirit of God. And so here's the thing. If you make a decision to stand right next to a a bonfire, you're no longer going to have a choice on whether you're hot or cold. You're going to be hot, right? I mean, you're just going to be hot. So if we make the choice to get as close to Jesus and stay as close to Jesus every moment of every day, and it's a work, it's a discipline— We're going to be hot. We're going to be on fire for God. And he goes again in Galatians 5.16. He says, but I say, walk in the spirit. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so here's that battle of sanctification. Here's the thing. As I said earlier, that battle will never end until we die. And so see, there's a benefit in dying because dying releases us from the things of this life and the things of this world. And it prepares us for the next step, which is glorification. And this is huge. Salvation is the deliverance from the ruin of sin. Justification over the penalty of sin, sanctification over the power of sin, and glorification into the actual presence of God. And so... In order to understand this, we look at a harvest. We, we look at the illustration that Jesus gave us of a harvest. A farmer works against drought, against bugs, against long days, against spraying and fertilizing, all this work that he does or she does, knowing that a harvest is coming. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew thirteen thirty: First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but then gather the wheat into my barn. The unsaved, those who don't give their lives to Christ, tares. The ones who give their lives to Christ, wheat, gathered into his barns. What, is that, you know, what does that mean? What is that looking like? It is the promise of glory. Yesterday we had a funeral in here. There was like some 200 plus people in here. And, um, and we talked about Ray Cresswell and we talked about his faith in Christ and that he is now in the presence of God, right? And how cool is that? He's, he's, he's gone home. And so Romans chapter eight, again, beginning in verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. And so here starts coming these promises. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with With what? With the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wow. Cinderella becomes the princess, right? She's going to become the queen. She's going to become royalty. And this is all that that God is doing. We're we're in this up and down and all around life that we we live here. And it's part of this life, right? We suffer in this life. There's suffering in this life. We struggle and we have hard times. And sometimes we, we can't forgive ourselves because of our own failures. But there's a time coming when that is all going to be done away with, with the promise of being glorified. And we don't even know what that means. The best Paul can do is to tell us that, listen, the things that you go through in this life aren't even worthy to be compared with what God's going to do when you get there. It's like you don't even, you, you couldn't even calculate, you couldn't even imagine what God's got in store for those who love him. Like, like you're going to be glorified. And so now he starts to try to explain this glory in verse 23 in Romans 8 he says not only this but we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies we groan I, come on you know you, you, we sigh you ever sigh what is that it's like just like sometimes this just is the pit right it's like you know oh another day in single digits <sighs> you know I'm kind of groaning right now you know um and, and so life kicks us to the curb we get hurt we get wounded all this kind of stuff but he says listen we groan we're waiting for our adoption and we're waiting for the redemption of our body now there's a greek word that is translated sometimes as a flesh and it's the word sarx s-a-r-x and it means everything about our fallen nature and that's gonna be done away with when we die. It stays in the grave. It stays in the grave. We're gonna be resurrected, and we are eventually going to get new bodies. Like new, like, like, and we can't even imagine what that's gonna be. Yeah, yay. No longer, no longer subjects of decay, no longer subjects of disease. New bodies, glorified bodies. Bodies that can eat and not put on weight, hallelujah, right? Bodies that are not limited to the things that our bodies are limited to, bodies that won't grow all, I mean, it's just, you know, and and so in Genesis chapter 3, we understand that God curses this world. Man, Adam and Eve sinned, and God places a curse on this world. This world is not in its original state. This world is not the way God originally created it to be. Listen, we suffer floods and fires and uh, typhoons and tornadoes and blizzards and volcanoes and wild beasts and poisonous snakes and mosquitoes. You know all of these horrible things. But a new a new world is coming, and He talks about in in Revelation 22 that this new world is not going to be cursed. This is not going to be any curse. I'll be able to go camping and won't hear that. Th- you know, that keeps you up all night long, causes you to smack yourself a million times in the night and the thing's like never even on you, right? So he talks about this in verse 21. He says that the creation itself will be set free from the slavery of corruption into what? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. No longer the glory of God, but the glory of the children of God. In other words, the meek will inherit the earth. God's going to say, hey, you know what, guys? Here's this new heavens. Here's this new earth. Have at it. And creation is going to be released. Creation everything is cursed, right? Listen, those of you who garden, you know how much work it is. You got to keep the weeds away. You got to keep the bugs away. You got to keep, you know, and then and then drought kills half of it. It's cursed. But imagine if the earth. Listen, I don't know if you've ever seen the transformation videos, but there was regions of South America, entire regions that had revival. So much so that like police departments closed, jails closed because they didn't need them because people were just living for jesus and their crops i saw videos of it they're pulling carrots out of the ground the size of a man's forearm they're pulling carrots out of the ground like this can you imagine that like cherry tomatoes like you know like this this earth is meant to produce bounty there should never be a thing called hunger because this earth was designed to produce and can you imagine when god says it's over no more curse no more stuff. Hey, no more. I don't know if there'll be ticks, but there won't be any more Lyme disease. Right? No more COVID. Can you imagine? No more sickness, no more disease, no more. Like, like again, This this our minds balk at how awesome this is that he's talking about. Even creation groans. Creation is like, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. This is not how God created us to be. Creation wants to be you know free and it's going to be free when we have our full adoptions new bodies new minds no limitations we're going to be smarty pants i mean just think about it just like and i you know and I, th- I i believe that we will be able to travel at the speed of thought we can't travel at the speed of light the universe is too big takes like 100,000 years traveling at the speed of light just across the Milky Way galaxy, and that's one galaxy. So we can't travel to the speed of light. I think we we'll just travel to the speed of thought, like think it, boom, you're there. How cool would that be? And I know you've heard me say this before. Snap, everything that was on this planet, I think is going to be in heaven. I don't think God, I don't think heaven is ever going to be less than this world has ever been. So I'm riding a T-Rex. Just telling you right now. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. I am saddling up one of them dudes, and we're going for a stomp. So, so now he talks about the certainty of glory. And in the last part, and you've got to read Romans chapter 8 for yourself because it's a fantastic uh, thing. But the last part of Romans chapter 8, he says, Listen, guys, I know that there's a lot of crazy things that happens in this world and in this life, but trust me, God's working it all for your glory. So if you just took a handful of flour and ate it, it would be disgusting, right? But you put that in a bowl with little eggs, little sugar, make a nice cake out of it, right? So God's going to take the lousy flour of this existence and going to make some whoopie pies out of it. I mean, like like it's going to be good. It's going to be really really good when we get there. And then you know, and He talks about all of this that all these ups and downs that we go through. He's working it all for our good. There's nothing we go through that's going to be wasted. And then he says in verse 30 of chapter 8, for those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And those those who he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God's on your side. Who could ever possibly... Uh, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I, I just I just get a kick out of people who think heaven's going to be boring. Like, you know, we get this concept that he's going to give us harps and we're going to sit on a cloud going... You know, like for a million years, I would kill myself. You know, I mean, you know, it's... Just, it's So, but, but he's going to, how much with Christ is he going to give us everything freely, everything, everything that his hand has created, he's going to give to us to enjoy. And then at the end, and this is huge at the end, he says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And he talks about all these things, he can height nor depth nor any angel nor any created thing, blah, 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 all these things. And he says, out of all of these things, what can possibly separate us from the love of Christ? He loves us more than we could ever, ever imagine. Died for us, offering us this gift. And he's saying, here it is, I'm going to give it to you for free. All you have to do is humble yourself like a little child and admit that you are sinful through and through and that you can't get there without him. Jesus said, no one gets to the Father unless they come through me. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing except our own free will. I can make a choice and say, don't give me that religious stuff. I don't want nothing to do with it. And I can seal the deal right then and there. I don't want nothing to do with God. You'll get what you want. You'll get what you want. I wonder how many people in hell lift up their eyes and say, it's not a fact of what I that I sold my soul, but it was how cheaply I sold my soul. Jesus said, what would he profit you if you gained this entire world and forfeited your soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? I want you to just close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment. I would be remiss if I didn't do this at this stage in the game. But maybe you're here this morning and you've not made that choice. And listen, if Christianity is anything, it is a choice. God says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. He even encourages us what way to go. He's saying choose life. And life is in the person of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to grips with the reality that you are sinful through and through, that there's no good thing in you, and yet Jesus does everything for you and says, I want to give it to you as a gift. And maybe you are here this morning and say, you know what, pastor, how could I, how could I pass that up? And if you're here today and you say, pastor, would you pray for me? I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. But if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand where I can see it? Just say, raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to ask Christ to come into my heart today. There's no better time than now. I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I want to know that when I die, it's not a matter of if, but when I die, that I will be welcomed into his heaven. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this phenomenal gift of salvation. It is so calculated and precise and thought through that you said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And Lord, I just pray that not only would we be recipients of this good news, but that we would become mouthpieces of this good news. Because you say that it's through the foolishness of the message preached that other people come To faith, We need to transmit the truth of the gospel by our actions and by our words as well. And so I pray, Lord, that every single one of us would have a divine appointment, uh, that we would cross paths with someone, that we can just plant a seed, that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, that there is eternal life in no other name. As the Scripture says, there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. We must be saved through the name of Jesus because there's no other way to get there. And we thank you for justifying us. Uh, Our minds can't even really fathom it, but we thank you. We thank you for uh, sanctification, that you love us too much to leave us where we are, that you're always working in us, sanding off the rough edges. And we thank you that one day you're going to glorify us. And again, our minds can't even... Calculate what that is going to be like, other than the fact that we have the promise that it's going to be way, way beyond what we could imagine or think. And so, Lord, let us have that peace, that joy that comes from knowing that we're saved. And we know that we're saved. And we're thankful and grateful for what you've done in us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Don't don't miss part three next week, and we'll wrap up this series on uh, God's good news, his plan of redemption.